Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald, and I'm accompanied by Mr. Shaw, first name Jay, as well as Miss Spencer, first name Erica. And We're so formal tonight there, Brian. Wow, you, you just told me to introduce yourself. Um, and then we're also sitting down tonight with Dan Tetzlaff from Hub International to talk about the ever-so-fun world of insurance. Um, exciting and fun. Not exciting and fun. I'm sorry, I forgot the other <laughs> adjective. Damn it. Right. Let's start over. Um, so <laughs> before, uh, before we get too far into it, um, Dan's on the line with us now. And uh, Dan, how's, how's the insurance world? No, it's good. It's challenging uh, at the time. It's actually, it's been um, a unique past five years, especially in Ontario, due to such an aging infrastructure and I guess a high, high volume of claims due to changing weather with global warming, etc. There's such a fluctuation in weather conditions which leads insurers to a lot of claims, which reads, you know, property owners not enjoying price increases from their insurance companies. However, as brokers, we do our best to navigate through that and find companies that understand the risks and, uh, and are willing to step up and provide the coverage. However, it just makes my job a bit more challenging. Right. That's just a fad, though, isn't it, Dan? That yeah, global warming so. is never going to catch on, is it? Ask Mr. Trump, he'll tell you it's not even real. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it makes things challenging. But as I said, if you, if you provide the insurance company with the right investors, uh, people, typically people listening to podcasts or you know, working hard to run it, run it well like a business, it's definitely still, I guess, uh, possible to make everybody profitable or, or make the deals fair, if I can put it that way. Yeah, makes sense. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, you know, how you got into insurance and kind of uh, the role you play now with uh, with Hub. Yeah, for sure. So, I actually had a passion for real estate ever since university, at which point I started cold calling developers in the States and, and ended up landing a job with one in Southern California where I went right after school. Uh, I went and worked for a developer called Shea Homes. It's a pretty, not just a home developer, but a, I guess a nationwide construction developer. And, and from there, I was in sales and marketing for some of their golf real estate projects, which I did for two years, and it was excellent. But it was at the time the economy in the United States banks, I'll say. And so it was virtually impossible for me to get a visa, so I was unable to stay. And when I came back, I knew I still wanted to be in real estate in some facet. I just didn't know how. And I had friends, two, two good friends, who were doing extremely well in insurance. 
not necessarily in real estate, but in business insurance with a different company and, and mentioned to me that they loved it. It's still fun if you're a sales guy, you opportunities to network and meet new people and just try to make a, a very boring product more exciting and, and they were doing very well. So I took the opportunity to actually met the CEO of Hub, which is a really large company while I was in Southern California and he mentioned to me if I ever was looking to change careers to give him a call. So I did that and he was able to place me in the pub here in Toronto, Oakville area. And from there, they kind of just said when you're getting into insurance, starting out, they highly recommended that you specialize just because I think not only in insurance, but anything you're buying these days, if you go with a specialist, typically that person will have an easier job selling you and you preferably, I think in most cases, would rather buy from a specialist. So I started specializing with uh, with Hub and got in touch with some of the investment clubs in Ontario. I had a co-worker kind of pave the way for me who was already interested in that. And uh, from there, I've been in the same role for eight years and it's going really well. Awesome. That was a yeah. wicked intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, you basically answered like five questions in a row there, Dan. Yeah. So uh, yeah. show's <laughs> over. Show's over. I mean, that's the end of our interview, Dan. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, Dan, what I... do they call you in the real estate circles? <laughs> I don't know if that's a fair question. But yeah. <laughs> well, I've I've heard of you from many different circles. There's probably three or four where uh, you're referred to as Dan the Man. So, I mean, you definitely have carved out a niche for yourself among real estate investors so that's pretty awesome to have done that in eight years you said you've been kind of yeah yeah that's pretty great yeah. so i mean just to kind of years a little bit um so i mean obviously like the focus here is more investors and uh it's we're kind of focusing on that part of of your business as well so being that investors look for cash flow and then one of the constraints that every investor has is the mortgage insurance and taxes um, why is it that insurance rates vary from house to house? Maybe you can touch a little bit on how that kind of plays into the whole cash flow and, and why investors might. And I get this all, a question all the time about, oh, like, you know, Dan's rates are a little bit higher than, you know, say, my local bank down the road. And the way that I answer that on your behalf is that your coverage does seem to be a lot better, uh, maybe more comprehensive, maybe have different types of coverage. So maybe you can kind of touch on, um, like, what rates kind of differ from house to house. For sure. Okay, that's a two. I consider that a two-part question. I appreciate the kind words to start. I think all the investors that I think we all know are such a great group of people, very passionate about what they do. So that makes it easier to want to speak in front of or educate people who really care about you know exactly what they're coming to learn. So that's that's a cool opportunity for me and makes my job more fun. Um, part number one would be, I think you asked, you know, why. Why would one house cost more than another house to insure? Typically, the product that I would sell the most investors, if I can, if, if they qualify for the insurance company, we actually try and keep the rates pretty stable because a lot of the people, I would say, within the groups all talk to each other, and we try and avoid them saying, oh, well, why am I paying you know, $1,000 for mine and Joe's paying 2000 for his? However, people often get confused I would call it market value versus rebuilding value. And people don't necessarily typically understand rebuilding value and how it works. So to simplify that quickly, I would say, if you were to, I'll use my home in Toronto, for example, I'm not sure what I could sell it for, 
but I would definitely guess it would be over a million dollars. But I, t- I personally have it insured for about, I'm going to say, $375,000 because it's a semi-detached home in Toronto, and that's what it would cost to rebuild, not why, what I could sell it for. And on the flip side, where I see a lot of people facing that challenge as well and not understanding, in Hamilton, sometimes you can get those older Victorian-style homes maybe three, four thousand, yeah, three or four thousand square feet, and typically you might be able to buy one for let's say four hundred thousand dollars. However, if that home was to burn down because of its size and construction style, might cost a lot more to rebuild. So, for example, eight hundred thousand. The people can't seem to understand that the the property in Hamilton would cost a lot more to insure than the one in Toronto, because the one in Hamilton costs significantly more to rebuild. And that will be your main driver of the insurance premiums, typically. And then the second part of the question, can you help me refresh my memory on that? <laughs> um, what I was kind of alluding to in the question is, like, one thing that I know for sure that your coverage is different, say, than like, uh, another insurer that we use, is that, um, like, for example, we know an investor who went through this where you were able to cover his lost rent with his, his insurance rates, like, the policy that you provided, this was a house that was for sale. I mean, there was no rental income being had at the time. And during that um, post-sale, pre-closing period, the house flooded. And I think he was able to get back like $7,000 in like quote-unquote lost rent, even though it wasn't actually rented. So there's, like I use that example a lot with my clients because, I mean, not a lot of insurers that I know would provide that type of coverage. And I mean, for an investor, that's invaluable in terms of, you know, getting back, um, you know, more than you're expecting in that type of situation. For sure. So thank you for refreshing my memory. I would say kind of the, the reason or the way this product that we sell at Hub, um, as I mentioned, it's specifically designed for investors because me and a colleague, more so my colleague at the time, was investing in quite a few student properties and rental properties. And him and I, as we were working together, figured together that there was no package on the market that we believed properly insured investors. So we worked together and started working with insurance companies to try and ask for all these specialized coverages, like you mentioned, where we'll pay for the estimated fair market value of an unoccupied unit where no one else will do that. And there are so many other things that we would put in our package because we specialize in it. Where I think the banks offer it to you or some of the direct writers begrudgingly because they just want to keep all of your business with them, but they don't necessarily want to understand it completely. Um, So by doing that, I feel like it's important. I get it. You are right. Sometimes we do charge a slightly higher rate. I don't think it's out of whack with the marketplace, but our goal was, we partnered with one of the largest investment, I guess, groups in Canada about nine years ago. And our goal was to, and I think we've accomplished this, cover every possible risk or peril that we could pay for so that if we ever had a claim go uncovered, we could say to that person confidently, if we couldn't cover it here, there's not a product in Canada that you could have bought that would have covered this. So essentially, when we're dealing with investors, and as you know, negative uh, press travels very quickly, we never wanted to have that happen to our product or our program. We only want those good stories of how we paid something that nobody else would have. 
And we'd rather work with clients that see the value in that. Typically, we find in the long run that that, that will work for us better as well. Yeah, I find the same thing. I mean, you don't want to work with a client that's going to choose another coverage because it's $12 a month cheaper. I mean, if people can't see the value in, in paying, you know, a little bit better of a premium for a better coverage, I mean, insurance is something that I never want to cheap out on, right? There's there's things in life like a nose job, good insurance, dental, you don't cheap out on things like that, right? So, I mean, insurance, life insurance, whatever kind of insurance, like we're we're, well, I don't know. I'm a very strong believer in insurance. <laughs> Brian, are you taking notes? I'm learning so much from this uh, from this podcast. I, f- I feel like I need a nose job now. I don't know why. I feel like that was ja- a jab at me for some reason. <laughs> Just joking. Anyways. No, that was that was awesome, Dan. Like I, I really like the breakdown. I mean, we talked about where you guys maybe are charging a bit more of a premium, but you are offering a premium product. Um but for the investors, what should they be looking for when they're buying a property if they want to keep their insurance rates low? For sure. So I think it's not only what will help them keep their rates low, it's things, and this may be, I believe it's one of the questions that you're going to ask, and I'll put them together. It's things they really want to avoid because they've essentially become uninsurable. And I'd say there's four of them that are huge, I'm going to say roadblocks, uh, I guess, especially for newer investors that perhaps isn't using the most qualified realtor. I'm sure a lot of you guys would also mention this to your clients. But So the two things I would definitely look out for are within the electrical system, and this would keep your prices high or, as I mentioned, uninsurable. So one would be knob and tube electrical wiring. And it's just been determined over time by insurance companies and studies that it's fairly dangerous and can lead to fires, which typically can lead to large payouts and, uh, and also deaths, which to insurance companies, obviously, they really want to avoid those. And then aluminum electrical wiring, which to my understanding, I'm not an electrician, but I've done quite a bit of research on it. It's okay and it's safe if it's done correctly, but typically it's not always done correctly. So if you're a newer investor... You would notice that typically, I believe, aluminum wiring was used in home in the 19, homes in the 1970s. That if you are going to buy a property, you're going to need to get it ESA certified if you want to keep your rates low on insurance. Typically, the insurers are okay with it if they know it's done properly, as I mentioned. But you're going to need to prove that to them through the electrical safety authority or an electrician kind of signing off on the work that's there. And then the second thing is you got to watch out for what's called galvanized plumbing. And that's a type of plumbing that was used, I believe, in the 1950s. It's typically very prone to crack and burst over time, between 60 and 80 years. So essentially, if you buy a house with this uh, plumbing in it, it's almost like a ticking time bomb. And I know we're asking about keeping rates low, and that's great, and everybody does want to do that. But I don't know if any of you guys have been through a really bad claim uh, kind of like you mentioned with the people who had the pipe burst right before closing, it is not a fun experience. Even if you have the coverage, it's time-consuming. It can be frustrating. You have to meet, you know, adjusters and insurers and contractors. And with everyone's busy life, it's typically better to avoid these things altogether if possible. I mean, you talked about some of the kind of hot spots, you know, like with aluminum aluminum wiring and galvanized plumbing, you know, is there any type of property that an insurance company, um, you know, typically won't insure? Not, 
Go ahead, Erica. Were you going to say something? Erica's uh, looking at uh, grow ops here. <laughs> it was chirping in from the uh, corner. I don't know. Like a grow op came to mind. That's what they teach in realtor school, but maybe I'm wrong. Fair. So that would be one, obviously. So anything that would be considered illegal. So not only grow ops, but any to any type of I would say drug housing operation, brothel, anything that's you know determined you illegal. Brothel. We were buying <laughs> right? a brothel. What? Don't tell Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. So that would be more of a common sense thing, but I know marijuana is a hot uh, topic right now. So typically anything um, that's considered illegal, and that's obviously up in the air right now in Canada, um, but there are parameters which will allow some people to grow specific quantities of marijuana, so that would be one. And then from there, if you're partnered with the right carrier, I would say there's nothing that they won't ensure as long as you're willing to make those corrections. So that knob and tube they would not ensure that. It wouldn't matter how much you would pay. Typically, that's almost impossible to get coverage for now. However, if once you acquire the property, you're willing to go and make the necessary upgrades or changes, typically most carriers will allow you to do that as long as it's in your budget and you're going to do it right away. So if you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy my property, I'll, I'll update the electrical in four years. They typically won't be comfortable with that. They're looking for you to make the corrections within... Generally, 30 or 60 days, depending on the carrier. So you can typically do that after closing? You don't have to do it before you close on the property? Exactly. So okay. they obviously have enough common sense. They can be difficult to deal with at time insurance companies, but they understand that, yeah, you can't really make the adjustments until you have the possession of the home. So they're really willing, I find, in most cases to work with you because not only are you benefiting, they they feel they're benefiting as well. If you're getting someone to go in there, maybe update the electrical and plumbing, they feel like they're getting a better quality product as well, which is less likely to have claims, which obviously they're a business too, and they want to make money. So they feel if you're willing to do that, typically they will allow for that and work with you uh, in order to make those upgrades. Dan, when someone comes to you uh, with a particular property, let's say a typical investment property, what are the steps that the investor needs to do in order to, um, you know, look at insurability with you? So, for example, can you walk us through a typical investment property, how it's evaluated, what are the types of risks that you look at um, in in order to kind of give an investor uh, a quote in terms of what, uh, you know, to insure the property? Yeah, for sure. I'll try and this could get boring, so I'll try and keep this uh, <laughs> fairly succinct. But typically, I don't know. I think most of you would agree. Do you often, depending on the scenario, I know, but would you often encourage your clients to get home inspections? Is that fair? Yeah, more often than not, I'd say. Yeah, Depends on the market. I get, Usually, yeah, I yeah. Get, if it's super competitive market and you don't have the opportunity, I get it. There's nothing that realtors love more than sitting around for a three-hour home inspection like a couple of days after they sold the house. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Which is why Erica sends me to all of them. Or me. <laughs> no, I mean, we usually urge home, or what are they called? Yeah. Client, what clients to get, clients to get home Those inspections. People. And, I mean, the best home inspector, just to kind of jump into the next question that Jay has written here, is what do you need to know from the investor, right? Because I know that... Hub, being such an awesome and very detailed company, has a lot of very detailed questions that you know may, many investors don't know. And then they come back to their friendly neighborhood realtor and ask us things like, what year was the house built? 
and how old is the plumbing? <laughs> we don't know these things. And so maybe you can touch on that in your story that you're about to tell. Yeah, so for sure. So that's what I was mentioning. If we were already getting an inspection, I would typically, so I'm going to ask those questions of, of your clients, as you mentioned. So typically, they just want to know the condition of four different things, which would be roof, plumbing, heating, and electrical, because typically those four things lead to almost all claims. And some of the other ones, like wind damage or, you know, just random, like, acts of vandalism are out of your control. So if they have the information and the condition of those four things, they won't even necessarily need to know the age. I know we will ask that from them. But typically they're just looking for the condition. And I can see their point of view there where, if I was an insurance company and someone brought me a house from 1920 and said, I said, you know, what does the electrical look like? And they write, don't know. If I'm the insurance company, that might, I'd be more apprehensive to want to give a good price or give coverage to someone um, who brings me that information. So typically in a home inspection, you're going to learn all of those things. So I would always urge any client, if they have one, that that's a good guideline for filling out any application, which typically, to my knowledge, almost every single insurance company will act, ask you for uh, in order to gain that information. And it's all essentially, as I mentioned, just looking at the history of the house for any information that you can gather for them. Did he answer the rest of the question? Your question was so long, I forget what it was. I think we were asking if he goes and checks the plumbing to figure out what year it was uh, installed. <laughs> so the, Above and you know, beyond. Some of those things, right, you can't, you're not going to get the answer to, but if you don't know when the, a lot of, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, heating typically will say right on the furnace what, when it was installed. Roof, most of the time, sellers are going to have that information for you. Electrical, sometimes you'll find the date right on the panel, and plumbing is a tough one, typically, it's not updated, so if you don't know that answer, that's fine, but they just want to know, is it copper or is it galvanized plumbing? And as I mentioned, galvanized is obviously something they're looking to avoid. So, again, if, I would just say if you're urging or if you're working with a new client who's never been through the process before, I always urge them to call me, and then we would just go through an application ahead of time so I can kind of warn them uh, about what to look for. And then from there, we could typically turn her a quote around in 24 hours or less if, uh, if need be, and uh, we would use that application in order to help gather the information that's required. Yeah, so that definitely like shows your value in terms of being a broker, right? like understanding the process and understanding the challenges that investors face. But maybe you can um, kind of outline how, why it's better to work with you as opposed to going to, you know, say, the, the neighborhood bank or the neighborhood like insurance building that people can walk into on their own? Like, well, what's the value in using a broker as opposed to just one specific company? For sure. I think in this case, there's there's huge value for a couple different reasons. I'll try and go through them fairly quickly. So number one, typically, we don't care about anyone but you. If you get a claim paid, I'm ecstatic. It makes me really happy because it makes you happy, and that's good for my business. Whereas sometimes direct writers, which would be banks, all state and state farm, they're adjusters and they're working. Oh, I can say the names. Bleep, 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 bleep. I, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. Can you go back to the part about you care about me? Who wants to take a phone call and say, hey, guys, sorry. I know you've had $200,000 worth of damage, but you're on your own. Like, that's an awful phone call to have, and it's not fun for me especially. So 
we're out there to look out for you and your best needs. Um, and if we, for example, don't have a product that we can offer through company A, as a larger brokerage, we have 90 partners that we can use. So typically, we're able to find a need for anyone. So if you're an investor that's growing a business, having, I guess, it's a corny term, but that kind of one-stop shop solution, whereas a lot of the banks, you know, I would give you an example. Once you hit three investment properties, a lot of them can no longer take the fourth one because they deem you're getting too large for them. Or if you don't give them your home and auto business, they won't yeah. give you rental property business. So those would be, I guess that would be one point is that um, they're very, they're very boxed in meaning you have to meet their exact parameters or typically uh, they won't work with you. Number two, this is my own personal experience from them. It's just an opinion. It, I personally think it's a fact, but that's up for debate. I think you'll typically find with a lot of them, not all, that you may be dealing with a call center. So every time you call, you may be speaking with a different person that doesn't really have a connection with you and may not even understand what's in place for you. Whereas I think, at least with you guys know, typically you could call me any time of the day and I'm going to understand what we're looking at. If you have any sort of issue, need, concern uh, about your business that I'm going to understand and I'm probably not going to need to dig up a hundred files just because we work together so often. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's some value in having someone who actually works on your file and typically in my business, I find that brokerages, people stay in the same spot a lot longer, whereas... With the banks, you may, if you have, if you're with them for five years, you may be dealing with four different people over those five years. Yeah, I noticed when I call you that you don't put me on hold with some elevator music in the background, <laughs> so I really appreciate that. And the fact that you have great command of the English language, and I can understand what you're saying. Those two things alone <laughs> are very that, helpful. That's a, to sound like right? Trump. <laughs> well. <laughs> and there's, hmm. what, there's one more point, and again, this is where you use the example of the person who got that claim paid for the unoccupied unit. We have what we call claims advocacy. So not only will I represent you against the insurance company. So that claim actually was originally the, the example you give where the, the investor got their rental income for an unoccupied unit. That claim was originally denied by the insurance company. They told them, they told the investor that they wouldn't be paying that bill. And I was able to prove to them in the policy wording that I created why that needed to be paid. And it took some time and some effort and some negotiating, but we're able to do that. And not only do I provide that for you, if you have a really sticky claim that is extremely expensive and has been denied or is not going well, we actually have a team of claims people who only work on claims that would represent you when it gets even over my head or too complicated. So they would be senior level people that would work with the senior level people of the insurance company in order to advocate on your behalf. So that's another value add that where if you were working with, again, a bank, and they say, sorry, you don't have coverage, I don't know what your next step would be, to be honest with you, other than you probably are going to need to call a lawyer. I feel so like those would be personal injury on. lawyers, right, that you see on TV, <laughs> hurt in a car. Yeah. What's the guy's name? <laughs> Matar. William Matar. Right. There you go. It's a catchy jingle. Right. Uh, called Dan so the I mean, Man. Yeah, you need a jingle, Dan. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's not always injury claims, though, right? So if somebody said, "Hey, you know, you had a flood in your roof and you seventy thousand dollar claim, but we don't cover roof flooding," I don't know what your next 
that would be typically, right? So I can hear Brian freshly writing uh, jingles over there. He's like, pull the I, roof, call Dan the man. We might have a new intro, actually. High five. We're going to have to work on the branding. I need it to rhyme like William Matar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Dan, actually just going back to the aluminum wiring, um, only because I had this experience in my first home, will you guys accept, um, uh, I think it's called pigtailing where they go in and pigtail all the outlets with copper wiring. Is that then make you guys here's happy? My experience, here's my experience with it. Again, it's the brokerage. We find that typically if there's any aluminum, the insurance companies, not just the one we typically send our investors to, want to see some sort of electrical safety certificate. Okay. So I can't say that at all, but I'm going to say at this point, the majority of them are getting stricter and stricter on this stuff and just not willing to take the risk on it. So I would say if it was done that way and approved by an electrician, then yes, no problem. But that's, I guess, something that I understand, but uh, not nearly as well as an electrician would. So I would always adhere to the opinion of a professional there. Right. I just know that the insurers typically are going to want to see some form of safety authentication from an electrician. Because to be honest with you, they probably have no idea either other than their bosses told them that they don't like this. Mm-hmm. But typically when we've seen that type of... Um, like when you require an ESA, like from being like the realtor perspective, what we see is the buyer will typically go back on the seller and say, I need an ESA certificate. The ESA inspector or the electrician will inspect, and then any non-compliant issues would be um, quoted or fixed, and then that would typically, in the best case, be paid for by the seller, but sometimes it's paid for by the buyer. Once those issues are fixed, then the ESA certification is granted, and that letter goes to the insurance company, but they obviously won't give you that certification until all issues are fixed, right? So, I mean, that's kind of how we see it from our end. Yeah, and like I mentioned, they'll give you the time as long as it Again, they'll tell you we want it done in 30 days, but as long as you're making an effort to provide them that certificate, you know, they'll work with you. So, um, And I agree, and that's, again, I would make the point where you're going to find value in a good realtor, too, to be able to recognize that, negotiate that, and and basically correct that instead of having a seller or a buyer, sorry, be put in a position where they find out about the bill they're going to have to pay for after closing. Mm-hmm. Man, if we only knew so, a good realtor, jeez. <laughs> okay. Right? <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to sell that million dollar um semi yeah, in front, I'm happy to come out there. Um <laughs> I have no formal electrical training, but I could uh I could take a look at the electrical too if you don't don't, don't quote me on the selling price and just giving an example for sure. <laughs> don't get your hopes up. Okay. <laughs> question area. I don't know. I think Brian's up for a, a deep question there. He's giggling in the background. Oh, He's still working you, on a jingle. You want the, I am actually. Do you want the, <laughs> the really deep question? Um, Dan, what do you say to the bargain hunters that are looking for the cheapest price aside from you get what you pay for? Sounds like he yeah. talked a bird to them. <laughs> you know, I, typically, I don't. Some people may... I feel like some people look down on, on those people and I don't. I just want them. I get frustrated if I'm comparing or I'm working with somebody who just says, no, I went to the other, the other company because it was cheaper. As long as you give me the opportunity to show you the differences between the two policies, explain to, the, you know, explain to you 
that person still says, you know what, I don't anticipate I'm ever going to use this policy. I don't really need much, I guess, service. Like, I, I'll just manage everything on my own. I have no problem with that. It's just, I'm not for everyone, put it that way. Um, it would be the same as someone buying a BMW versus buying a Kia. Some people may see the value in all the things that the BMW company would bring to them. Whereas some people just want something to get from A to B. It's just as long. I find that a, not a lot. But some people don't even take the time to learn the differences. They just jump at the cheapest one and just assume or hope that they're being taken care of properly. Right. So typically, I would say to them, just allow me the opportunity to show you the differences and so that you understand the difference. And I find, and so like nine times out of ten, if somebody actually takes the time to learn, they'll often opt to go with the expert. So it doesn't come up too often if it does and somebody's comfortable kind of self-insuring. I don't think that's wrong. I just, as long as they understand it, that's, that's all good. I would say I have um, even some larger clients that carry very high deductibles because they're very confident or comfortable knowing that unless it's a major, major disaster that they're going to fix things on their own, which is fine. It's just as long as you understand. I think that's the big thing, Dan, is uh, what, what you've been able to do is establish value in a different way, right, where a lot of newbie investors think value is strictly price, right? And when they look at coverage of, you know, of hub and coverage of, let's say, you know, the insurance company within their bank, they're not comparable, right? Like, I mean, you know, one thing, like, for example, um, you know, hub has very good sewer backup coverage, right? And I don't sure. think a lot of people know that. And, you know, they look at if they're competing with like a, you know, a bank, banks typically don't offer that type of coverage where yours is very comprehensive, right? So I think what you've been able to do is establish value in a different way and educating investors to say, yeah, you know, we're a little bit, you need to make sure that, uh, you know, you're comparing apples to apples. For sure. I agree with that too. And I know we keep saying that our product is more expensive and it, I'm going to say, not always, too. Sometimes it will be cheaper than the bank. It depends. Now, yeah, you know what? It really isn't like just to give the, the latest one you did for us, where I argued with you on the sump pump issue. Uh, I mean, yeah. that that's a century home. Like that was it's nineteen whatever nineteen something. The house was built in right, like it, I think nineteen twelve. It had an oven tube. We fixed it before closing. Um, the quote was the the year premium is twelve sixty five. Like that's a yeah. great price yeah. for a home that you know is fifteen hundred square feet that age. I mean, not everything's updated, right? So I mean, and we didn't have all the information that you needed on that sheet. So I'm sure it's a little bit even yeah. like higher quoted, right? So I mean, like that's a great rate. So I mean, people that say that you're more expensive, I mean, it's literally like dollars. It's not a lot. Yeah. Or and again, sometimes we are cheaper. I would just say we're not we're not ignorant. Price is super important, and we want to be really good on price. But it's I think like the other thing, and we don't mean to always. say that it's super expensive, right? I think the biggest thing yeah. that you just have to realize is that at the end of the day, your mortgage, your insurance, and your taxes are all going to be paid by, you know, the tenant, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about cash flow. So, I mean, if you're $100 or 120 or even 130 at the end of the day, the, the tenant that's going to be living in your house is going to pay that. Right. So, I mean, you want to make sure that you're covered, right? Because I think, like, you hit the nail on the head. There's no greater fear than having, you know, an accident and then finding out that you're not, you know, have no one to fight for you. Mm -hmm. We have the same conversations with people that, 
nickel and dime on insurance or not insurance on mortgage rates, right? Oh, it's you know point zero one percent cheaper if I go this way. Sure, but that that bank or that broker might be able to get you one approval, whereas if you work with someone who understands the big picture, might be able to get you ten approvals, right? So it's all value added, and I mean that's what I say. Like if if people are gonna nickel and dime and look only at the cost, then maybe it's not a client that you want to, you know, fight overly hard for either if they're not going to respect you in the business. Totally agree. And I just find uh, I shop in a specific way where I would go to wherever it be, where I buy my cars or whoever and trust that that person's doing a good job because I want to develop that relationship. And I personally don't have time to, you know, to go through 11 different dealerships or whatever it may be. And then I just find that I get more value out of my time, which in turn, you know, actually ends up saving me money. That's the way I look at it. But uh, I guess not everyone would agree. And some people do have all that time to, to dig in and really, you know, get 90 different quotes from different mortgage brokers or banks or whatever it may be. Or <laughs> I'd rather, well, I'd rather find a guy that I think is going to do that job for me and pay them to do their job. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, I don't know anyone that's more of a bargain hunter and I don't even know what a nice way of putting it is, but like, well, looking for the the (laughs) cheapest deal all the time, like that's, that's me to a T for sure. But I mean, there's things you just don't cheap out on. Right. And I mean, like insurance. Could you go over that list again for the for the audience? <laughs> nose jobs, Brian. What else? I was going to say boob job, but I didn't think it was appropriate. So I said nose job. Hey, hey, this is prime time here. We can't be talking like that. <laughs> okay, what question are we on? I don't know. So, boob job. <laughs> Brian's uh, clearly uh, distracted. Yeah, I'm lost. So, Dan, what's a common mistake you see real estate investors make, and how do you think that they could fix that? Yeah, typically I would just find, uh, I did touch on it, but not being educated and not taking the time to educate themselves. Um, so that would be one. And two, I think you guys would agree, if I could give one piece of advice to anyone who is just starting out, I would tell them to work with specialists in every field. So whether it be insurance, taxes, realtors, accountants, everything that they do, if somebody came to me and said, what should I do there? I would say if you like if you surround yourself with experts in this field from every facet, I feel like I could take somebody off the street who knows nothing about investing in any facet, and they could be fairly successful if they surrounded themselves with all the right people. The dream so team. Yeah, right? And I see people trying to, oh, but my brother's a realtor and my Uncle Joe's a mortgage guy. And it just doesn't typically work. So I think people sometimes try and, and I don't know why that is, but sometimes try and use their own people who I guess they have a relationship with where I don't, I think that's a big mistake because I can just think of my own accountant or real estate lawyer that I work with who are just invaluable to me. And if I was using Uncle Joe, I don't think I would get that type of value back that, um, I just don't think it's worth it, and I think that's—I don't think it's common, but it's common enough. I, I mean, I see it enough for sure. Like even as an insurance broker, sometimes I have to deal with the real estate firms, and my client will give me one I've never heard of, and just dealing with them or speaking with them, trying to navigate perhaps satisfying a mortgage company with the insurance, and listening to them kind of speak about you know what's required, and it's just the most basic questions, and they don't really understand what they're doing me you're doing yourself a, a large disservice by not having that dream team as you mentioned 
I think that totally reminds me of the very first conversation I had with the lawyer that we have used on every single deal and that many of my clients use. Um, but my very first conversation with him was, you know, your rates, like, they're a little bit higher than I'm used to. And I mean, like, how do you justify that? And I remember what he told me. He's like, Erica, yep, they're higher. But at some point, you're going to need a lawyer in your corner that understands what you're doing and that has your back. And that that will be invaluable. And, I mean, that's happened time and again, and he has had our back. And, I mean, for the extra 50 75 100 bucks, whatever it is per transaction, like, I mean, you're bringing the guy 80 to 100 grand on every deal. So to squabble about $100, like, I, I was that person at the beginning. And then you realize that it's like, hmm, well, shit, he was right. <laughs> right? It's worth it. And would you see, I mean, there's a question that I have, Barack, would you feel, and it may not be true, but they've saved you money over time just by doing oh, sure. all those high, right? It's like you may be, you feel like you're paying more, but I really, I don't feel like you are, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if the fee, like I said, is, like, I don't even think it was a hundred bucks difference. Because, I mean, if you look at a, at a statement of adjustments on closing, a real, uh, lawyer's fees are like 699 to 899, I would say, is like what I've seen the range is. So, I mean, really, you're fighting about an average of 50 to 100 bucks between lawyer to lawyer. So, I mean, if that's what you're going to fight about, and then if you're going to, you know, talk to the insurance guy and try to get him down by $2.50 a month, like, I mean, at the end of the day, you might feel great about your bargaining technique, but, you know, like, you're not saving much, and it's, you know, amortized over months, and your tenant's paying for it. So, it's just, if someone has that much time to... Uh, dispute costs, and I feel like they could be spending that time and energy shopping with me and buying more houses. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, the other thing too, I think you probably uh, see this as well, is that everyone knows, like with our team that we've built, and, and Brian, you're probably the same way, is that everyone knows, like on closing, that they have to phone Dan Tesloff to get the binder's letter for the insurance, right? Or Dan Tesloff is sending the binder's letter directly to our lawyer because they know we use the exact same lawyer on every single deal, right? So by building that team, your team has your back, so they know that you need this, this, and this, and, you know, you need this document and that document. And, you know, with everything that goes on in every deal, and every deal there's always a curveball, and we tell investors this all the time, is that that's one less thing to worry about because you know your team has your back. Yeah, and I I would agree with that, and and I just think by building that rapport, like with you guys, for example, I know if you called me at 1 a.m. and said, urgent, I need you to help me with something with this deal that ha- you're going to get that from me because you're just so you know good to work with, and I feel like we have a great rapport, so when you build that up, I do think, not only with me, I can guarantee you if you had a claim with the insurance company that you have your properties with, if it was on the fence, you'd have a way more likely time getting it paid because of the loyalty that you provide to them. And they want to help you. They want to help clients that have been with them and that are loyal to them in return where, where they need it most. So I think there's value in all the things we're discussing with loyalty, rapport, and just, you know, surrounding yourself with those experts. It seems every podcast we sit in on and, 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 and talk, we talk every time about, your little dream team or your team members or the people that you're working with, whether, like you said, mortgage agent, lawyer, insurance, it, it's the common, I don't know, it's just the common conversation that just seems to spin right out of these podcasts every time. So I just hope some people realize that building that team is, is so, I don't know. It's just, it's so valuable. It's, huge. it's so yeah. valuable. But I don't. I would I, also say too, which I think is interesting, 
I bet you of all those people you've mentioned, if you pick the right one, they could fill in all the other holes for you. Yeah. And I bet if you went to my mortgage guy, he could, or my whatever tax guy, he could, accountant, he could tell you where to get, you know, what lawyer to use, what insurance guy to use, what realtor to use. But having just the support from all different angles, I, I really think that's important too. And yeah. It's just nice to have. Yeah, it's a good, good strong network. For sure. Um, we up for fire round here, Jay? So you have to do the, uh, I keep getting the phone taken away from me. <laughs> um, so all dad jokes now. What do you expect? <laughs> They're all dad jokes. Uh, so Dan, you're you're aware of the fire round, right? You don't get very many opportunities to breathe because we just pepper you. All right, all right. I'm ready to go. Okay. I was I was slightly brief, but go on. Okay. So where do you see yourself in the next twelve months? I see myself in the exact same role, but I'm always trying to evolve. I'm always trying to find better ways to serve my clients, whether it be coverage, service, price. And I love the job that I have. And I've built up such a good network of people. I don't see myself moving moving anywhere other than just being in the in the same spot and hopefully taking more vacations. Perfect. How about tapping into that equity in your million-dollar house and buying some investment properties? For sure, right? That, that is what I'm always looking to diversify <laughs> my investment portfolio. I like aggressive realtor making sales on the air. I dig it. <laughs> I'm not pushy, no. <laughs> not at all, no. I don't think ever, anyone's ever accused Eric of that. Um, Dan, where do you see the market in the next 12 months from your perspective? If we're looking at the strictly real estate market, I think the Ontario leadership that has just gotten into power is going to make things a lot more competitive. I personally think that prices will on homes and investment properties is going to continue to increase. I understand that's a very debatable topic, but I definitely think that uh, Mr. Ford is going to make or change a lot of regulations that may have been put in place by his predecessor, which will make things more advantageous or profitable for investors. Purely an opinion, but that's definitely where I see the market going. Cool. We like that. Yeah, keep like keep that, that talk up. We like yeah. that. Can we do we do we not agree with that? No, I, I think you're bang on. I think we're gonna see I think you're gonna see a lot of changes, right? Because I think we've all seen from the the Ontario and I'm doing air quotes here, fairness plan is that uh <laughs> it, it's very uh one sided, right? And I think there has to be changes and I think that's one thing with the new government is they're trying to make the housing market more affordable, but I think with that, you're going to see, you know, more, more demand for properties up there and that's going to keep the prices high. So I, I agree with that. I feel like I'm listening to CBC radio with the three of you guys talking about boring, monotonous. Hey, we're, trying to, we're trying to get the investors excited about, you know, buying more properties. You'd love that. We invite Erica only to the special podcast. Fair enough. The special podcast. <laughs> Next, All right. <laughs> All right, we're moving along here, Dan. Um, who do you learn from? There are a lot of people within my own company. So we actually have our own, I'm going to call it like a real estate board. So people within the company, uh, just in Ontario, all across North America that are constantly trying to change the industry to make it better for our clients. 
Um, so I sit on that board uh, and I constantly try and learn from other people who are trying to do this. You know, I have to cut in. One thing I noticed, I, we just met Dan in person, what, like a month ago? Whatever, at that conference? It was in April. April, whatever it was. I was super impressed that, um, I mean, you sound older than you are, Dan, like you're, and you're very impressive, and you do a lot of business. I mean, how old are you? <laughs> just, I'm 34. I've got a radio voice, but I'm told, and that's the first time I've seen you. That's hilarious. I didn't hear that. We cut out. Charlie Brown, is that you? I don't know. He's trying to FaceTime me, it seems. You know, you know what? Yeah, let's are we better now? There oh, we go. Yeah, we're still right. here. Maybe you just oh, wanted yeah, to see my face. He's timing without us. That's a little creepy. It um, is a little anyway, creepy. is this a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to say, it's my first. Uh, people constantly tell me I have a radio voice. So you do. Time, and when I met you in person, I was like, man, this guy's like way younger than I thought. Like, not, all, not because of your voice, but also because like you know what you're talking about. You don't like you're confident. And you're, you know, you're a good salesman, right? So you get it. But now even listening to, like, how you built a business and, um, like, everything you just said, basically, like, I, it makes me think that I don't know how old you are, so I want to know. Yeah, no, 34, and uh, I appreciate Oh, what? Did you say? 24? 34. 34. 34. 34. 34. I was going to say, if I was 24, that would be amazing. But, yeah, no, 34, so, and, uh, yeah, just to answer the final part of the question, I don't know if you guys are the same in your business, but mine is, I feel like you learn something new every day, and there are some older older gentlemen that I do work with uh, fairly often that I'm always leaning on for advice or intelligence, suggestions, whatever it may be, um, because it's just who better to teach you than somebody who's been there before. Just like we were saying about the dream team, you can apply that to your own your own everyday life. It's like, why not lean on somebody who's already been through the same problem you're going through today, tomorrow, or the next day? Well, we work with Brian. He's the older gentleman that we learn from. <laughs> I, I was the youngest on the podcast until Dan came on here. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, are we old? Can I, you guys can I are, that record? are like dust. Well, and in keeping with the old theme, what are you currently, we're going to read the question, what are you currently reading? And if you're not a reader, which podcast are you currently listening to, a.k.a. aside from this lovely podcast? Oh, my God. I that's, a, that's such an easy plug for me, but, I mean, not exciting. I'm reading a book by Kevin O'Leary, super boring, about managing money called Men, Woman, and Money. I just find it interesting because I think Kevin O'Leary is really funny, and he is able to kind of, I guess, send a message across to you about finances and not do it in such a boring facet like some of the other books that I've read. So I, like I almost book. ran him over a couple of years ago. He jumped in front of my car in Toronto in underground parking. Oh, so it's man. a good thing he lived to write that book for you. Perfect. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great read. And, uh, yeah, I read, I read often enough, whether it's insurance policies or books. Yeah. I, I try and read at least once a day for sure. You just say you read insurance policies. That's that's considered reading. The most boring thing you'll ever do. But yeah, it's, it's, ba- it's bathroom reading. It's awful. Okay, Brian. <laughs> right, Brian has he lost. Sounds his... like he's in the bathroom. He's like, that going? <laughs> <laughs> Brian has lost question privileges. <laughs> I've actually been in the bathtub the whole time. Uh, okay. Uh, next question. <laughs> All right, this is, this is a good one. I mean, we've we, you touched on it a little bit just with uh, potential changes that might be coming down. But uh, in your industry, Dan, do you foresee any major changes coming uh, with regards to the insurance industry? Uh, 
Not really, to be honest with you. As I mentioned, it's um, the real estate is kind of it's considered like a it's an unattractive business to insurance companies because over the past five years they haven't been very profitable in it. But I think there's a way that you can if you if you provide the insurers with the with the intelligent clients. That's kind of a a niche that I look to take advantage of. Meaning, I always say this: somebody who's listening to a podcast about real estate right now, or like you guys going to an event on Saturday morning, learning about how to be a better real estate investor, I typically feel that those clients are going to be beneficial for the insurance company, and then in turn, you're going to get back way better coverage and lower prices. So I'm trying to always. It's not going to be different per se, but it's just a way I'm trying to really change the industry by making specific pots of money for people who I think deserve it, if that makes sense. So if we're always putting good seeds into a pot of money, then those prices will always be down and you'll always get a good product in return. We're trying to avoid those bad apples getting in and spoiling the insurance for everyone else, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody likes bad apples, that's for sure. No, no, no way. I love apples. So last question, um, is there any advice that you would give to investors um, from your perspective? Boring, but I got to go back. I mean, I've already answered the question. Sorry to be boring, guys, but uh, you got to surround yourself with the experts. I think it's a, I think it's just a no-brainer, and uh, I've never heard anyone complain. You know, oh, man, my realtor knew too much. It really cost me a deal like it typically if you have the right people you're working with, you're going to be successful in anything you do, I think. Yeah. I agree. That's what we try and tell people, right? It just makes sense to to work with people that are experts in the field and, and are going to help you and have your back. 100%. 100%, guys. All right. Listen, uh, that was uh, that was really uh, inspiring, Dan. So thank you very much for, for coming on and talking to us a little bit about kind of your realm, I know uh, the insurance world isn't always uh, exciting and sexy and all that, but I think it's uh, it's valuable to our listeners to to talk about and learn a little bit more and educate themselves in terms of understanding the type of coverage that they have and how that's going to help them protect their asset. Because I think that's the biggest thing is a lot of people buy a couple rental properties and they're like, hey, I have you know I'm a landlord, right? But at the end of the day, what we need to tell people is that this is a business. You know, have assets. We have to protect those assets, right? So. Um, that was that was uh, you know really helpful. So on behalf of the real estate investing lounge, we want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule and uh, and speaking with us. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, hey, thanks for having me, everyone. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. You guys are great to work with, and I think what you're doing here is excellent. So I'm really happy to be able to contribute in any way that I can. So thanks for having me on. Brian will send your jingle along once it's ready, and uh, he'll sing it for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I'll be singing it for sure. i got to get out of the bathtub and get all pruney. (laughs) But, Dan, before I get out of the tub, uh, how can people reach you for their their insurance needs? So typically I would always convince them to go through you guys, but if not, uh, if you would just Google me or... Or, I mean, my phone number's, you know, all over the internet, LinkedIn. And I feel like I'm connected enough in this industry that if you asked about me, the majority of people uh, could get in touch with me. Okay. I don't know if you want me to leave a phone number. I'll I just give people your cell phone whenever they ask me. So. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. It works. Google Dan the Man. Exactly. So, yeah, typically I'm not too hard to find. Good. Awesome. We'll put Dan's contact information on the show notes. Yep, uh, absolutely. And if people want to reach out, and I think uh, 
they should definitely uh, they should definitely do that. So thanks again, Dan, for taking some time, and uh, and we appreciate it. Beautiful. Thanks a lot, guys. You guys have a good night. All right, we'll be in touch. Take care. Thanks, Dan. See you guys. All right, bye bye. You're welcome. Bye.